We only stopped once to stare at an automobile that roared by in smoke and shielded an African driver who wore bright white gloves. I couldn't see his passenger. Besides the big work equipment on the plantation, I had never seen an automobile before. Slowly the festivities disappeared. The busy road turned into a dusty path where there were odd crisscross markings in the dirt that my mother said were from an automobile like the one we had seen. After hours of walking and my mother telling stories of her young life in Namakal, we could more than smell the ocean. We could hear it. And then we were walking along a wood dock with the sea beneath us. My mother sat me down with my legs hanging over the side and pointed to the small mound many miles out into the ocean. That would be my new home, she told me, where the nuns would take me in and bless me with the sacrament of confirmation when I was older. She didn't say, if I lived to be older. Instead, she kissed me on the mouth and made me promise not to eat the sweets. And she left. And then it was so quiet, with only the waves and the breeze as sounds of life, that I closed my eyes and pretended that I was back in the junction, eating oysters in pepper sauce, putting them in my mouth with my good hand. My arm was wrapped and in a sling. When the wagon driver had asked, my mother told him I had broken it, and she was taking me to an obia man. I was ashamed that she had been made to sin to tell a lie because of me. Even in my mind, I couldn't forget how my elbow was hurting me in a funny way that wasn't about pain. Even alone on the dock, I was too afraid to touch it, to give that arm the healing power of the other one. I was afraid to touch places on me that weren't even private. And I was going to die for it. Die for having those places. My mother held my hand, then left. It was not a parade of white nuns who came for me. It was a lay volunteer, all wrapped in cloth. Someone doing community service for a crime committed, or someone doing penance for a sin confessed. Get in the boat, he directed. In his voice, I knew that he was a man, for nothing in his gauzed body revealed it. I could not tell if he was Indian or African or French. The skin around his eyes was covered in a dark, protective salve. We did not speak as we motored the five miles to Shakashakari. At the Shakashakari dock, he told me to go, go. I tucked the sweets under my arm and heaved myself one-handed out of the boat. The boat sped off to the safer, healthy side of the island. I faced the intake house. It was a welcoming hue not the color of sores or withered limbs. The walls were blue, a mother's color, and the trimmings were green, the color of life. I didn't think I would be unhappy here. I presented the bag of sweets to the young nun who greeted me. She cradled it with her gloved hands and smiled. Then she sent me to bathe in the sea. Hurry, she said, before it gets dark. I did as I was told. I knew that the Caribbean Sea could heal many things, 
If you have a cold, go bathe in the sea. If you are melancholy, go bathe in the sea. If you are a leper, go bathe in the sea, but on the leper's side. He was there on the beach when I came out of the water. Lazaro was not the name he was born with. He was given that name because he refused to die. He was sixteen when I met him that first day, older than me by two years, but much smaller in size. I stood a head above him. I had some softness in places, chest and cheek, where he seemed hollow. He had been born in the colony, and still showed no signs of leprosy and no signs of leaving. The world would not have him. Surely the leprosy would show soon. In truth, he had nowhere to go. His mother, Adugla, had passed on.